Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Today I want to talk to you guys about cover letters. Now, you guys no doubt know what a cover letter is. It's that piece of paper that precedes your application, your resume. It's the thing that introduces you to a potential employer. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, I have written several cover letters in my time, not a single one of which has earned me gainful employment. Every single one has failed for me. But I digress. They are an important part of the entire process. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, in terms of specific advice for your, for your cover letter, it's important that you remember that your cover letter is something like a letter of recommendation that you write for yourself. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You don't want to become too braggadocious in your cover letter. That is to say, you don't want to become so arrogant on yourself that you appear unapproachable. Confidence is very, very good. Arrogance tends to push people away from you. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. When you're writing your, your, your cover letter, you need to understand that it is, in many cases, your one opportunity to introduce yourself to the hiring committee at whatever job you're, you're going for. It is your one chance to say, hey, I'm the perfect person for the job. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And when you're writing that cover letter and you're thinking about the person that's going to be reading it, you need to understand that it's okay to talk about yourself. It's okay to say, here's what I bring to this company that is unique, that can push the company forward. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Have you guys ever wondered about the beginning of Jesus' ministry? It's kind of odd. If you look at the uh, Gospel of Matthew, you see a man who descends from heaven and spends 30 years of his life being the son, the, uh, the, the apprentice of a carpenter. And then he graduates into his adulthood. And then he goes out into the wilderness and he gets baptized by a guy by the name of John. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he gets baptized, and then immediately after he comes out of the baptismal water, the very Spirit of the Lord descends from heaven, quotes Isaiah 42, 1 to this man, and then essentially says, hop in the truck, son, I'm going to take you out to the desert where you're going to starve yourself for 40 days, and then the literal devil himself is going to come and tempt you for a little while. And that's a whole other sermon all on its own. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you 
and to utter all kinds of evil against you on my behalf. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Hopefully I've been a little on the nose this morning about where I'm going with this. But if I haven't, let me be very, very clear. I would contend with you that the Sermon on the Mount, the in its entirety, is the cover letter of Christ. From beginning to end, it is the, the introduction of Jesus Christ into the world and into his ministry. In it, Jesus answers some of the most pertinent and permanent questions that human beings ask themselves. What is the best life and how do I live it? By it, Jesus gives us a view of what his ministry is going to look like for the remainder, the remainder of his three years of life, which I would also contend with you is the most important three years of life that any human being has ever lived. And at the end of it, Jesus gives us a promise. And that promise is that the person who hears the words that he's speaking and lives by them, well, that person is wise. And when, hear me, when, the storms of life come crashing in, that person is prepared and they survive it. Now, I want to back up with you guys and I want to go to our, our text for the day. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. I want to talk to you guys about what that is, what that means very quickly, and then I'm going to tell you guys an embarrassing story about my life because it would not be a sermon from Mike Gray if he didn't talk about how embarrassing he is. So, First things first, blessed are the meek. I think so often we forget what meekness is. And so uh, in preparation for this sermon and kind of on a whim, I looked up what meekness is. I did a Google image search. Do you guys want to see what came up? Do you guys want to see? That's my cue for the next slide. Boom. That's right. Isn't that so dad burn cute? Look at that little guy. You guys want to see another one? That's a yes. Next one. Look at him. It's so happy. It's so cute. Objectively cute, yes. A good case study for biblical meekness? Meh. Do you guys want to know what I think is an even better image for biblical meekness? Yeah? Next one. Boom! <laughs> Isn't that bananas? That show feels like it was like a year and a half ago. That debuted in late March. Isn't that nuts? It's been a late, it's been a long year, ladies and gentlemen. Now, just to be very, very clear, I am not saying that that gentleman is a good example of biblical meekness, not even a little bit. Because if you've seen the show, he's not. But that tiger, that tiger is. Why do I say that? Because that tiger is a natural terror. It has the, the destructive potential to rip that man to shreds, and for reasons I will never fathom, it chooses not to. It has the destructive raw power to rip him to, be, to bits, almost without really meaning to, but it chooses not to. Now, you can say that that's because of the, uh, the training that it's been through. You can say that that's because of some primal relationship between man and beast. But the purpose, the point, is that it has the power to destroy, but it doesn't. Power under control. 
Now, to speak directly to what the mental image that Jesus was probably trying to conjure in the minds of his listeners, this is probably what it would be. Warhorse. A Roman warhorse. Now, these horses would have to go through extensive amounts of training. You can see why. That horse would have to go into the fray, the tumult, the chaos of battle, and every instinct in its body would be screaming at it, run. Run and get away. And it would have to fight those instincts. And it would have to fight those instincts all while carrying uh, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of rider, armor, weapons. It would have to do all of that while taking minimal directions from the rider. You see, during battle, uh, the, the rider, the warrior on that horse's back didn't really have the convenience of using their hands for the reins because they had to do the swingy-swingy, the stabby-stabby. They had some other jobs to do with these suckers. And so the horse would have to take directions only from the, the squeezing of the knees, the turning of the waist, maybe a little poke with the toe. Very minimal uh, instructions. And that is all without considering the fact that that horse has the raw strength to cave in a man's chest just because the man spooked it. Raw, destructive potential under control. Power under control. Now, um, I want to be very, very clear. Uh, if, if, if you're following, uh, I've used that term a couple times. Power under control. Meekness is not weakness. And in my study, that was something, that was a phrase that was used many, many times. So that was not a Mike Britton statement. That was a statement from all kinds of folks. Meekness is not weakness. You can, you can go to the next one, Janie. When you hear meekness, don't imagine a lamb on a grassy knoll, defenseless, powerless to do anything. Man, imagine that tiger. Imagine that war horse with the ability to destroy, but with the conscience to control that, that potential. You guys want to hear an embarrassing story? I want to tell an embarrassing story. So I uh, am an alumni of this beautiful college. I graduated in 2017. I graduated with my bachelor's in youth ministry, which means I am a disciple of Russell Grove, Papa G. Rove. And uh, so what that means is that I came to this college in 2013. And like many of you guys, I grew up in a smaller church setting. Uh, until I got to college, I didn't really have any church services that peaked over 150. And then I went to Eagle Christian Church my first week here, and my perspective broadened. Because up until then, I had spent my entire life being at a small church setting and going to every single church event that I possibly could. You know, youth group, Sunday school, Sunday worship. Uh, my mom was a small group leader and a teacher at the church. And I oftentimes went with her, even though it was a women's group. I was that awkward white kid who sat in the back at women's group. Um, I wanted to get as much Bible in my mind as possible. And so when it came time to go to college, Boise Bible College was top of my list. And I walked in here like I already knew all the answers. You want to know the embarrassing part? Freshman, you know that Bible, that Bible knowledge exam? I flunked it. Flunked it real bad, as a matter of fact. 51% if memory serves. Here's the really, really, really embarrassing part. Even after that flunk, which I am convinced 
that was the Lord trying to, to, to temper my ego. Even after that, I still walked around so puffed up with my arrogance. That to be honest with you, I couldn't tell you the name of a single chapel speaker my freshman year who was not a paid staff member of this college. Couldn't tell you a one. Because in my mind, I'd never say this out loud, but in my mind, I already knew everything they were going to be talking about anyway. Why would I pay attention? I already had all the answers. I knew the Greek alphabet, sort of. I knew the very basics of biblical interpretation. Why would I pay attention? I remember going home my, during the Christmas of my freshman year, sitting in the sanctuary I'd grown up sitting in, listening to the man who won me to Christ, whose sermons I had listened to hundreds of times, and I thought to myself, I could do better. I could do better than that. That whole tangent that he just went on, way too long. Ooh, he said, um, maybe I should send him an email telling him how he could improve. I had that thought to myself, and I didn't even have the courtesy to laugh myself out of the building afterwards. Imagine that. So puffed up with my own academic arrogance that I couldn't even see how blind I was to the fact that I was missing out on entire semesters of chapel and class just because I thought I already got it. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who have power under control, for they shall inherit the earth. What does Jesus mean when he says, they shall inherit the earth? I think our American ears are tuned to the political, the militaristic interpretation of that. This idea that through the strength of our arms or the strength of our convictions, we as Christians are someday going to rise up under the, 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 the returned Christ and take over. And guys, I got to tell you, that's wrong. I say that we sometimes think that. The reality is that Jesus' original crowd probably had a decent contingent that thought that very thing. It makes sense. I mean, he's talking to the Jewish people, a people who were no, no strangers to the idea of being taken over. At the time of Christ, it was the Romans, and then before the Romans, it was someone else, and then before them, it was another someone else, and then before that second group of someone else, it was a third group of someone else. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. Enslaved, overrun, captured. It makes sense. But the purpose of Christ was never to take over this present world. What was one of the core teachings of Jesus' ministry? It's mentioned in the ver right before our text. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus' the core purposes of Jesus' ministry was always in the proximity and in the availability of the kingdom of heaven. Nowhere was his purpose in the conquering of the world. So when Jesus says they will inherit the earth, what does that even mean? Like I said, it definitely doesn't mean the taking over of this, this physical land. No, I think 
the promise of inheritance is a looking forward for the, for the believer. A promise that someday you, we, will be with him in paradise. And on that day, we will, just like Jesus said, on that day on the hill, we will be with him in paradise. We will inherit the new heaven and the new earth. And so, theologians of Boise Bible College, you owe 50% of the active student body of Boise Bible College. There should be a question that's begging in the back of your mind. How do I be meek? Rebecca Hasegawa preached recently, and I think she did a very wonderful job kind of diving into a very American issue that we have, which is reading the Beatitudes and reading them as an instruction manual. You know, I have to, I have to be this to get that. So if you haven't heard Rebecca's sermon, I encourage you to go back and listen to it because I'm going to be building on an idea that she presented there. This idea that uh, in order to inherit the new heaven and the new earth, you have to be meek. In order to uh, be an inheritor of the promise, you have to lower yourself. I think there's an element of that. I would submit to you, O oh theologian, dear brother and sister, I would submit to you that the action step of this sermon is a very good example of what I lovingly refer to as a you thing. And my hope is that throughout this sermon, uh, the Holy Spirit's been nudging you, giving you little pointers, a little push here, a little nudge there. But I wanted to, I wanted to leave you with an example of what meekness was for me. And I'm going to pull back on those dark, embarrassing days of my freshman and sophomore year. Like I said, I am a disciple of the youth ministry department, which means Jessica Wilson, the, preaching, the, the, the worship professor here at the college, and I spent very little time in the classroom together. One class, as a matter of fact, was all we spent. And that was during the time where I just had my head so puffed up I didn't even listen. And I remember one specific assignment was to script prayer. To write out a prayer that you would then pray over a church on Sunday. And I disagreed with that fundamentally. Because, of course, I was right. I believed that I had all the answers, of course. And so I told myself, no. No, pr pr prayer is a... It's a conversation. It should happen spontaneously. It shouldn't, be it shouldn't be formatted. Because then it's going to be hollow. It's going to be robotic. It's not going to be genuine. And I was right, of course. And so on the page where Jessica gave us to write out our prayers, I instead wrote out an argument. A uh, 95 theses, if you will. And I turned it in and I hoped that Jessica Wilson would see that and feel the condemnation. And it didn't happen. No, what did happen was that Jessica invited me to her office. And she sat me down and she said, Mike, I want you to tell me all of the reasons that you feel you should not do this assignment. And I railed and I ranted. And I told her, God bless, 
buckle up. Here we go. As I invite up the, uh, the worship team, um, after I was done with my me time with Jessica, she, uh, rather than berating me, like I probably deserved, she started to explain her reasoning behind that assignment. She started to explain that the Psalms uh, in their entirety are essentially prayers written to God. That if you script prayer, it has a tendency of deepening it, enriching it, making it better. Jessica taught me a lesson that day. And I, with not a small amount of shame today, tell you that it's one of the only lessons I remember from my freshman and sophomore year. She taught me how to say a very important sentence, which is, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the convictions that I've grown up with my entire life, maybe they're unfounded. I don't know what the Lord is, is pushing on your heart. My encouragement is that after the sermon, you take some time and you reflect. Because the Beatitudes are a promise. It's so, so crucial that you take that promise seriously. So I would encourage you to take some time to reflect and find the thing that you need to, to implement in your life to fit this specific text. But, but maybe, maybe you take my, my application, you learn, you learn like I did, and you learn faster than I did, to say that very simple sentence, maybe I don't know. Because, ladies and gentlemen, after all, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church, where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.